All right, welcome everybody. Good morning. Hey, so today, obviously, we're going to be talking about parenting. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time. Now, whenever I talk about parenting, um, it's really important to understand something because there's a truth behind all of this that is so important to get. So anytime I talk about parenting, I always bring this up, okay? And it's this, that there are almost no good examples of family in the Bible. That like when you, when you read like through a book like Genesis, for example, it's chock full of family dysfunction. So, the, you know, the Old Testament saints aren't given to us to emulate, but for something much, much more important. So I'm just going to kind of walk you through uh, just the story of family from the book of Genesis alone, and then we'll just see if you feel a little better about your own family when we're all done. So just in the first book of the Bible, Cain envies and murders his brother Abel. Uh, Lamech murders someone and brags about it to intimidate his wives while also introducing polygamy to the human race. Noah, who's actually called the most righteous man of his generation, gets so intoxicated in his tent one day that he passes out without any clothes on. When one of his sons finds him in this condition, Noah pronounces a formal curse on that son. Abraham lies and says that his wife Sarah is really his sister because he's afraid that a powerful man is going to want his wife for his own harem. And he does this not just once, but twice. He then has a child with Sarah's maid and eventually abandons both that child and the child's mother. His other son Isaac and his wife spend their lives playing favorites with their two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, with the help of his mom, deceives his dad, cheats his brother out of his inheritance. And so Esau ends up spending years trying to get revenge on his brother Jacob by killing him. Jacob goes on to marry two women. He has children with both of them and with both of their servants. He favors one of his sons, Joseph, so much that his other brothers want to kill him, but they decide instead to sell their brother into slavery and then lie about this to their father, allowing him to think for years that Joseph is dead. Anybody feel better about your own family? At this point, I mean, these families could all be on the Jerry Springer show. Listen, these people need professional help. They need a doctor, Dr. Seuss, Dr. Who, Dr. Spock, Dr. Laura, Dr. Phil, somebody. Now, listen, here's why this is so important to understand. The dysfunction in those families is meant to point us to our need for a Savior, All that dysfunction exists to point us to Jesus, to point us to our need for him. And while there are almost no good examples of family in the Bible, 
There is an amazing amount of good and righteous and holy and wise instruction. And this brings us right back to Ephesians chapter 6, which Jamie read just a few moments ago. So we're just, so just going to kind of walk our way through it. So uh, notice first that he's talking in these first three verses to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's an important phrase because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, again, children are told here to obey their parents in the Lord. Now, if you'll remember last week, we talked about Christian marriage. And I said, look, you may think of yourself as a Christian, you may call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, but if your marriage isn't a submission competition, you're not living in a Christian marriage. And in the same way, we're told here what it looks like to raise children in a Christian home, in the Lord. And so in that context, children are commanded to obey their parents. Now, what's interesting is, um, so let's look at the word obey first. Children are to obey uh, their parents. So when our kids were little, we would talk about obedience with them in three ways. And, and we would say these things over and over and over and over again to our children. We would say, when, it, when you obey, we want you to obey cheerfully. You know, not like, oh, like that whole thing, right? Because we've all seen that. So you obey cheerfully. You obey immediately. So delayed obedience is still disobedience. So you obey immediately and you obey respectfully. You don't argue, you don't whine, you know, that kind of thing. So those three words. And we would just, you know, talk to our kids. That was kind of our little creed in our house. That's obedience. Now, respect or honor honor is this honor is respect in action it is respect for the role and the authority that those parents have in their lives it's meant to be a respect for the position of a father for the position of a mother not necessarily the parents themselves so right uh, now, when some of you are here and you're an adult now and you grew up in a home and maybe there was a lot of dysfunction, just like in the book of Genesis, in your home. And so when you hear words like obey and you hear words like honor, you know, maybe in your home there was verbal abuse, maybe there was even physical abuse, maybe there was trauma in your home. And so you go, you know, how do I honor like, how do I honor a mom and dad that brought me up in that kind of environment? How do I do that? Well, maybe the first step for you would be forgiveness. Like just having a conversation with your mom or your dad um, and just walking them through. Hey, you know, yeah, there was all this, but you know what? I, I want you to know I, I forgive you. And I'm doing that in, in Jesus' name. So maybe on beginning to honor your mom and dad in that kind of an environment, you know, starts with forgiveness. 
And I want you to notice, uh, too, that as Paul is a talk, is, he's appealing to children. And so what he does is he actually does something that's very unusual for Paul. He appeals to their self-interest. He says, I want you to honor your mom and dad so that it may go well with you and you might live long on the earth. So why would he appeal to their self-interest? Paul never does this. Well, because children are the least mature members of the church, right? And so he's saying, look, it's for your own good. It's for your benefit for you to obey and for you to honor your parents. And this is real, friends. This is real. Um, In other words, he says, look, I want it to go well with you. Now, almost all of us in the room know somebody who just, whenever they bump up against authority, they just seem to struggle. And it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what position of authority they have in their lives, they, whenever they start to bump up against that, they want to rise up, they want to rebel in the face of that. And listen, we all know that our children are going to have authority figures in their life. They're going to work for people. They're going to be employed by people. They're going to, you know, report to people in their job. We all know people who struggle with authority, authority, and then there as a result, they struggle to stay employed. They struggle to keep a job. Uh, or maybe they struggle, um, you know, with other people, authority figures in their life. This is a real thing. When Paul says, look, I want you to learn how to honor your parents, because if you can learn how to honor your parents, then you'll be able to learn how to live under the authority of other people. And mom and dad, I need to speak to you for a minute. If you're children don't learn to honor your authority as a mom and a dad in their lives, they will rebel against any kind of authority for the rest of their lives, and that includes God's authority. If, if you can, uh, you know, when our kids are little, if we can create this sense of honor and reverence for authority, not just parental authority, but all authority, then we set them up well when it comes to um, submitting ourselves to God's authority or anyone else's. And he says, look, and I want you to live a long life on the earth. Now, what's so interesting about this, Paul's actually paraphrasing, uh, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, he, and he appeals to that. And what's so unusual about this is Paul almost never does this. 99% of the time, Paul appeals. He says, look, I want you to do this out of reverence for Christ, or I want you to do this because Jesus did that for you. But here he goes back and issues this appeal uh, to one of the Ten Commandments because he wants to appeal to the self-interest that children often have. And then we go on and he begins to speak to parents, specifically fathers, but, but both parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. 
Now, some versions say exasperate. I like the way the uh, ESV translate this because the word exasperate literally means to provoke to anger. So here's what he's saying. Look, don't have sky-high expectations. Don't expect too much from your children or they will wilt under all that pressure. And, and here's the newsflash that a lot of us as parents, we know this. Listen, your children don't need you to remind them of their weaknesses because the world, this world is going to do that just fine. It will. It will. So don't remind your children of all of their failures and all of the ways that they have disappointed you. And this is just a reminder, isn't it, parents, what what, how much weight our words carry in the hearts and minds and lives of our children, both for good and for bad. Our words carry such weight. And if you aren't careful as a parent, your children will wilt under the weight of your words. Now, a man by the name of Lou Priola uh, wrote a book um, when he, uh, based on this verse, provoking our children to anger, that he called Heart of Anger. And what's so uh, convicting to me about this book is that when he's assessing anger in the heart of a child, he begins by assessing the behavior of that child's parents. And so what he does is he lists, I don't know, probably 30 different behaviors that parents can do which provoke their children to anger. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to spare you all 30 of those, but I am going to walk, walk you through seven. So here's number one. He says, lack of marital harmony. Lack of marital harmony will cause anger in the heart of a child. So he says, look, this is just a reminder for us then, right, that the best gift you can give your children is a healthy relationship with their father or their mother. It's the best thing you can do. Uh, lack of marital harmony. Number two is modeling, and this is a really important word, modeling sinful anger. So the idea here is you lose your temper and you just blow. You yell, you scream, you rant, you throw. Just sinful anger, just unrighteous outbursts will cause anger in the heart of a child. In fact, and this shouldn't be a surprise to us. I mean, what does James say? He says, look, the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Nothing good ever comes from anger, ever, modeling sinful anger. Number three, maintaining a child-centric home. Now, what's so fascinating about this one is this one to me seems a little counterintuitive because you would think if a child is at the center of the home, they would love that. But the reality is what, what do little gods do when they don't get their way? They throw tantrums, right? Uh, so, yeah, you, you want to stay away from a child-centric home. Uh, number four, uh, 
it stirs, it provokes a child to anger when a parent won't admit that when they're wrong. Listen, if you're here and you have an eight, nine, or a 10-year-old and you've never apologized to them, that's a problem. That's just a huge, huge problem. Being able to admit when we are wrong as parents sets an incredible example for our children and it allows us to point them to our own need for Jesus. If you're a mistake-free parent, you don't need a Savior. You don't need Jesus. So it's so important, it's absolutely vital that we as parents be able to admit when we're wrong. Number five, he talks about being inconsistent with discipline. So here's the idea. Parents, if you tell your children, if you give them a consequence, so if you say, well, if you do that again, I'm going to send you to the moon. And, well, and you can't send them to the moon, right? See, you do that more than once, and your children know they have you. Don't t- if you tell your children they're going to get a consequence, you make sure they get that consequence 100% of the time, every time. Or they won't take you seriously. They're going to know you don't mean it and that they've got your number. So that's a big deal. And then the other piece with inconsistent discipline is this. So sometimes, you know, you get home, it's been a hard day, you're tired as a parent. And so a behavior of one of your children that maybe didn't bother you yesterday bothers you today. When we talk about consistent discipline, what we're saying is don't allow your feelings, you know, in any given day, your tiredness, your whatever it might be, your discouragement, your own disappointment, cause you to be harder on your child one day than you would be another day. Always discipline consistently for the same behaviors. And then here's another one, number six, showing favoritism, showing favoritism. In other words, um, this is kind of wrapped up in it too, but just comparing your, why can't you be more like your older brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? That's a big deal. In fact, um, parents, my wife forwarded me this this week, and I absolutely thought this was genius. Um, Because when it comes to uh, molding and shaping your children, it's really important to remember something. And here it is. Remember that you as a parent, when it comes to your kids, you're on the welcoming committee, not the selection committee. Listen, I... As a parent, you have loads of influence on your kids, especially as they're younger. And then as they start to grow up, you have a little less and less and less influence, right? See, my point is this. Your child isn't wet cement in the way that you think. 
Now, again, you can have influence. You might even be able to bend them ever so slightly, but they're going to be who God has designed them to be. And part of trusting God with your children is trusting that even though they're making decisions you don't approve of, even though they're doing things you wouldn't want them to do, I'm talking about adulting children at this point, right? That, that, that God is working in those things. God is using all of those things in their life, listen to me, to make them who he wants them to be, not necessarily who you want them to be. And this is a really, really big deal. We're on the welcoming committee, not the selection committee. And then number eight, just harsh criticism. You're so stupid. You're, you're never going to amount to anything. Listen, that's toxic. That is such toxic parenting. So we're told, look, don't provoke your children to anger. That's the don't, but do this. Bring, but, but nourish your children. That's the word that's used here. In fact, some versions say bring them up. It's, it's actually the word nourish, which is the same exact Greek word which was used way back in a, or back a few verses in Ephesians 5.29 when husbands were told to nourish uh, their wives. So it's exactly the same word. In the same way that husbands are to nourish wives, parents are to nourish children in such a way that they thrive. Now we get nourishment, right? As parents, I mean, probably most of you feed your, when they're home all day, you probably feed them three square meals a day. You probably trust the school district to feed them the other two when they're not with you because we get how vitally important nourishment is. But this isn't physical nourishment that Paul's talking about. He's talking about spiritual nourishment. He's talking about pointing them to Jesus over and over and over and over again. Bring them up. Nourish your children. Now, um, so what would it look like for you to do a better job of providing spiritual nourishment for your children? How can you, in the stage of life that they're in right now, point them to the Lord? Maybe you're a grandparent in the room. What would it look like for you to provide spiritual nourishment in the life of your grandchildren? So, so we know that a parent's job is to nourish their children, but I got to talk about when parenting can get, go off the tracks or when it can become toxic. See, sometimes, and this is the great temptation for all parents, I would call it the parent trap. You know what it is? It's the temptation to use our children to validate ourselves. So in other words, in ways that we're not aware of, we begin to parent our children not to meet their needs, but to meet our needs. So when my daughter succeeds, that's a reflection on me. I succeed. When she wins, I win. When she looks good, I look good. My whole world is vicariously lived through my children. And the reason this becomes toxic, parents, is because we're no longer parenting our children in regards to what works. But we're not parenting them for them or for, to meet their needs. We're parenting them to meet our own needs. 
And if that's where you are, and listen, I've been there, we've all been there, we've all done this. But if you're in a season like that, we need to get down on our knees and we need to repent of that. So uh, that's a big deal. Now, um, so yeah, that's just a trap of parenting. We're going to move on. We're going we're gonna to nourish in two ways. We're going to nourish in discipline and we're going to nourish with instruction. And these are very, very different words. So discipline is about erecting guardrails in the lives of your children. It is uh, preventative. Uh, Notice, too, that it's not just discipline. It is the discipline of the Lord. So it's a discipline that points them to Jesus. And here's, here's what Paul's telling us. He's saying, parents, you need to get good at disciplining your children. Get good at that. Do it well. Do it wisely. Do it skillfully. Well, you go, well, what might that look like? Well, I would make four suggestions. Number one, you target the heart not the behavior. Your discipline should always go for the heart. As our kids were growing up, my wife Jackie and I would have constant conversations about capturing the hearts of our children. I mean, listen, and here's why this is so important. Because your children are smart, right? Because you had them. So they're smart just like you are. And what that means is that um, they, they see when... Uh, they just, I just completely lost my whole train of thought because I'm not as smart as some of you or I would know what I was saying, right? Um, anyway, my point is this, that um, we, we nourish, we instruct because we want to we touch the heart, not just behavior. I, I remembered, thank you. Thank you for that reminder. So, yeah, so see, what will happen is kids will figure out what behavior you expect and do that. But you can do the right behavior and still not have a heart for Jesus. So you want to target the heart. Uh, Number two, discipline in love, never, ever, ever in anger. Now, were there times where I disciplined my children in anger? Yes. And I wish... I could have every single one of those back. I do. If, if, if I was going to do anything different in parenting, it would be disciplining strictly out of love, not in the heat of the moment, not because I'm mad at them, not because I want to wring their little neck. No, because I want what is best for them, because I want them to succeed in life, and I'm willing to do the hard work of disciplining them for success. Discipline in love, never in anger. Uh, Number three, we talked about this already, discipline consistently. If you tell your children they're going to get a consequence, give them that consequence 100% of the time. And then number four, discipline, recognizing the differences in your children. Jackie and I have these conversations all the time. It's so incredible to us. We got three kids, same set of parents, same rules in the household. And our three kids could not be more different than one another. And here's what I'm telling you. There is no one size fits all when it comes to disciplining. We have to be students of our children and discipline them according to their bents. 
So like if I said to my son, Connor, hey, Connor, you're not allowed to read any books on weather for the next month. He could care less. It was my oldest son that loved to read books on weather. And so it's no coincidence that he's now a meteorologist with the National Weather Service, right? So you just have to learn what are the likes and the dislikes of my children, and I discipline each one differently. So he says, nourish them with discipline, but then he moves on to something that's equally important, and that's the instruction of the Lord. Now, instruction is positive. It keeps you from discipline. In other words, the more instructing you do, the less disciplining you should have to do, at least if your children are listening to you, right? So he says, look, I want you to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. You go, well, well, when should I do that? And I think this is where a passage like Deuteronomy becomes so helpful. Um, listen to what it says, uh, verses 5 through 7. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The words I command you today are going to be on your heart. And because they're on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children And then he kind of goes about the when, the how, and the where. I want you to talk about them when you sit in your house. I want you to talk about them when you walk by the way. I want you to talk about them when you lie down. I want you to talk about them when you stand up or when you rise. In other words, you talk about this over and over and over again throughout the course of the day. We look for opportunities as parents to bring our children up in the instruction of the Lord. And I'll uh, be very clear with you about what I think this is just practically in a few minutes. Um, But then just this is genius. I've been, you know, I've read through Deuteronomy so many times and a verse just leapt out at me this week that had never, (coughs) excuse me, leapt out at me before. And it's Deuteronomy 620, because this is so important to instruction. When your son asks you, what is, the me- excuse me, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees, and the law? In other words, the son is asking, why? Why do we do this? What, is this? what does this mean? Why do we do this? Why do we live this way? Why do we, why do, we do this kind of behavior? Um, it's so important that we, as we're instructing our children that we give them the why, that we give them the meaning And here's what I want to encourage you to do as uh, Christian parents. I think this is the most important thing you can do. All of the rules of your household, all of them, should elevate relationships. Elevate relationships. I'm talking about working harder to develop your child's EQ or relational intelligence than you work to raise their IQ or their ability to take standardized testing. Christians should be amazing in and at relationships. This goes right back to Jesus' foundational commandment, the the foundational and overarching command of the entire New Testament. When Jesus locked his disciples in a little room and said, I'm going to bring a new covenant, there's a new sheriff in town, and here's your new marching orders. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. 
And you know what? By this, all men are, in other words, the way that people are going to know you're Christians is by the way that you, thank you very much. See, love right there. Got you, man. Thank you. Is, is by the way that you love other people. Listen, we, we have to elevate the value of relationships. In fact, do you know that uh, studies today, almost every study I've looked at recently, says that EQ is far more important than IQ to job performance and success. You want to know why? Because when you work, you go to work with other people. And being able to read people and being able to work well with people and, and love people well, serves people well in their job. So we need to be elevating. All of our rules should be around relationships. And here's why this is so important. Because all relationships should come with this warning. Hey, there's some assembly required here. This person you know, this relationship has to be built, right? There, and when it comes to relationships, there is always some assembly required. I mean, when our kids were little, I hated the word so much, some assembly required, so much, especially at Christmas. You know why? Because I knew those words meant that I was going to be up half the night while my children were sleeping soundly in their beds. I remember one Christmas Eve after hours of frustrating, backbreaking work, trying to get something put together. I finally looked at my wife and I said, would you like some help with that? No, that didn't really happen. I didn't, I didn't do that. But give your children relational intelligence. Give them that. So, so for example, so when I say make all of your household rules, oh, first of all, don't have too many rules. If you have too many rules, your children, they, they, can't, they won't, they will, they will fly out of the nest with great joy. And you don't want them to do that. But make the rules that you do have about relationships. So, for example, don't lie ever. Davises do not lie. You know why? Here's the why. Here's the instruction. Because lying undermines and damages relationships. We don't lie because of what it does to people. We don't lie because of what it does to relationships. Honor your mom. Honor your mom. Be kind to your brother. Be kind to your sister. See? All, look, the more rules that you can tie to relationships and, and give a compelling why, the healthier and the better and the more responsive um, our kids are going to be. And here's why all this matters so, 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 so much. Because this is painful to say, but it's true. Everybody's weird. People are messy. You know, I mean, people say and do hurtful things to one another. People traffic in things like sarcasm and a lack of civility. People have flaws. They have shortcomings. They have junk in their trunk. I'm not even sure what that means. I just like the way it sounds. So I think one of the most important things that you can do with your children is teach them to apologize. Teach and model for them how to ask forgiveness. 
make the restoration of relationships part of your punishment. Well, okay, you're gonna, you're, now you've got to go clean your brother's room. You, you were so mean to your brother to restore that relationship, you've got to go clean your brother's room now. See, we're teaching them, even in our punishment, how to be kind, how to serve one another. I, I wish I had been, been more laser-focused on this when my kids were littles. I really wish I had. So just teach them how to ask forgiveness because it's part of being in a relationship with others. Now, um, all right, I'm going to start to wind this down. I want to just... I want to encourage you because, I, listen, I know there's some parents in the room and you're here and, I mean, if you were honest, you're just discouraged and you're exhausted. Maybe you're a single mom or a single dad and it's really, really hard. And I think it would be really easy as a parent to, you know, settle for like a tip. Like, okay, just give me a template. Just give me the, the five steps and that's what I'll do. And I'm, I'm not going to do that because every one of our children are different. I've already told you we have to respect the differences of our children. But I am going to offer you some encouragement as parents. You've got this. You've got this. And I'll tell you why. Because the Lord Jesus Christ walks beside you. I'll tell you why else you've got this. You've got this because the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And he has promised to lead you. And he has promised to guide you. And he has promised, he has said, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Even in your most complicated parenting moment. And I'll tell you another reason you've got this. You've got this because God has laid out his word before you. You have God's word that you can go to and glean wisdom and insight and understanding from. Parents, you've got this. I'll tell you a final reason why you've got this. Because you have a community of believers that are going to roll up their, their sleeves and get dirty with you in this. You, you don't have to do this by yourself. You don't. You have a community of believers here that you can go to when something goes awry or something goes wrong or you're discouraged or you're overwhelmed or you're tired. Now, having said that, I do want to just say one, one word. because So if, if you're looking for information as a parent, we're going to be able to come alongside you and help you. I, I mean, we have, we have unbelievable resources, online resources, book resources. We can point you in lots of directions to get information, to get, um, you know, information. But if your problem isn't informational, and, but it's motivational, like if you're just not very motivated to be a good parent, I would just ask you, Get on your knees and confess that to God and ask God to change your heart as it relates to being a better parent, as it relates to nourishing children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord.
Will you do that? Because listen, we can, we can help you with the information, but there's nothing we can do to help you with motivation. That has to come from you. And that's between you and your own heavenly father who pulled out all the stops as he's parented you. So let me pray for you. Hey God, there's a lot of us here today and we're tired, we're exhausted, we're, we're just overwhelmed. Maybe some of us are here and we're discouraged. God, would you meet us in all that? Would you bring strength where strength is needed? Would you bring encouragement where that is needed? Would you uh, prop up parents today who just wonder if their parenting is making any difference in the hearts and lives and minds of their children? God, would you do a mighty work here where children hear these words And you supernaturally motivate them to want, to delight in obeying and honoring their parents. And would you give us as parents great, great wisdom about how to instill obedience and honor into our children. God, because we want things to go well with them. We want them to be able to live long on the earth. And so to that end, God, give what, what all the parents that are here, whatever they may need, would you hem them in? Would you prop them up today? Would you remind them that they, as they go on this journey, they do not do it alone because, Jesus, you walk beside them. You've placed your spirit within them. You've placed your word before them. And you've placed them in a community of believers so that they don't have to go it alone or in isolation. We thank you for all of that. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Hey, listen, if you can stick around for a few minutes, um, we'd love if you could help us uh, stack chairs and put those away so we can work with your teenagers tonight. God bless you guys.